0: what's up everybody today is going to be a very special episode and i'm going to be joined by another amazing guest kevin woodley from nhl.com and in goal magazine and we're going to be talking about all things goalies this is going to be a fun one we're going to have a nice time let's get to biz you're listening to fantasy nhl today Much again for joining me. This is Fantasy NHL Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. I am your host, Blake Creamer. Please head on over to Twitter, follow me at Blake Creamer se. We've got a Discord as well. The link is in the description, and I've got an Instagram now. It's Fantasy NHL Today, all one word. Get your biscuits over there. I'm experimenting with all kinds of uh, Instagram filters. I'm I'm popping off. I'm getting crazy over there. So yeah, hit me up on Instagram. Give me a follow. Um, yeah, and like I said got an amazing guest here i'm very excited about this um jeff merrick actually of sportsnet actually recently called this man the most detail-oriented man in the biz all right and now we're bringing that value to the listeners of fantasy nhl today from nhl.com and in goal magazine and a damn handsome man kevin woodley How you Now you know I, I know
1: now i know you're lying yeah, no, I, I, I don't lie about these things. All right. Come on. So yeah, no, I, I the checks in the mail for Merrick for all the kind things he says. That's um, right. I'm just a guy that uh, got into goaltending actually late in life. I didn't grow up with it. Uh, Mid thirties got asked to edit a goaltending magazine, fell in love with uh, terminology, started speaking the language, basically with goalies. I was already covering the NHL, but I was covering it the same way everybody else did. And uh, Ian Clark, the goalie coach of the Vancouver Canucks said, Hey, can would you write some articles on goaltending and help edit some of this for my magazine? And so now I'm reading technical instruction and editing technical instruction, and of course, as you know, as an editor, you have to understand. You have to read it through. You have to understand the content before you can figure out, hey, what changes can we make to tighten it up? And this is Ian Clark is one of the one of the best in the business, um, and a guy who probably has produced more literature, uh, teaching tools, and instruction than any goaltender in the history of the game, any goaltender coach in the history of the game. And so to get that inside sort of look at it. I, I just fell in love with it and it opened up a world where goalies, because I approached them with this understanding or these questions based on this understanding, they were willing to talk to me in different terms at the time. There, there are more and more people that do this now, but there wasn't in 2004 and man, like just, and then I started playing. Um, we'll call it uh, my, my, we were, my wife was pregnant with our first, we'll call it a sympathy pregnancy, moved out to the burbs, lost my regular basketball pickup game, gained about 50 pounds, right around the time this offer came out. I'm like, (laughs) I got to play the position. I got to get in shape. I got to learn the position. And everything has been, my whole life has been about the position ever since I love playing it. I love talking about it. I love learning about it. And uh, I love that people like yourself invite me on to do all of those things.
0: Oh my God. Love this guy right here. This is a positive man. And uh, buddy, that really shows in kind of the work that you're doing, right? Um, So um, I just want to say, I said offline, I'll say it here, just a big fan of of everything that you're doing here. Um, It's quite noticeable when you're on a podcast. Um, I always find myself like I listen to a lot of podcasts. So when I, you know, I'm listening, and sometimes, you know, you tune out a little bit, right? You, You got it on in the background. But whenever you're talking, I end up kind of listening like, you know i'll, I'll start I'll, my ears will perk up a little bit I'll be like oh wow this is like you said it's a little bit different right you're, you're presenting it in a different way and that's just something i appreciate appreciate about what you are doing here you're giving us like very you know some detailed stuff uh on the goaltending position so that's uh i really like that so thank you for your service my man yeah, that's my pleasure all right, that's nice. Um, okay, cool. Well, um, you gave me a little bit of this when I when I do have a guest on one of the things I like to do is sort of get a little bit of a, an origin story. And you gave me a bit there just in terms of, of, of goalies, like what what's sort of your background, Kevin, and, and I know you mentioned uh, offline, you went to UVic there. How, how did you? How did you get uh, in touch with Ian Clark, first off, and like, kind of get this ball rolling?
1: Well, well, we'll rewind it a little bit. How did I become a journalist? Um, I'll try and paint the the Cole's Note version. I was actually uh, three plus years into a statistics and computer science degree at UBC. I was taking uh, the actuarial exams. That's where my life was headed. For those old enough to remember the movie Jerry Maguire, Breakdown, Breakthrough. It was probably more of a breakdown, but we'll call it a breakthrough because I quit. I worked Love at a pa- paper mill for a couple of years. And just when everyone at the mill was saying, you're, you're a lifer now because you. I was enjoying the money, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it, it was great. It was a summer job I had and it paid really well. Uh, I quit that, got in my car and drove to every major league ballpark in the United States, slept in my car, something I wouldn't recommend nowadays. But in 90, it was the year after lockouts, so I want to say like 95 Um that was something you could do. I stayed in a hotel maybe once a week, but for the most part, just lived out of my Volkswagen GTI hooked up with friends uh, that were playing college ball. I'd played baseball up to a pretty decent level. Um, Some Juco, some playing major college, just sort of met up with them along the roads, crashed at different places. And when I was in Chicago, which is actually one of the early stops uh, I met a writer. I wish I'd gotten his name. It was a very brief meeting, um, but before a game and he, he covered the Cubs for the Tribune and it just like light bulbs, like, hold on. Like even if, as I was doing sort of the, the computer science and stuff, I always took English as a minor. I really enjoyed um, English courses. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed reading. And it just kind of clicked like, Hey, you mean I could I like sports. I could actually make a, like you can make a living writing about it and watching it. Like, and so quite literally um, while I was in Chicago, I was, I was crashing on a, 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 at a frat house um, and I met Ferguson Jenkins, like in the back corner of my office is an autographed baseball from him, went and bought him a beer after a Cubs game. He was the pitching coach at the time, and he invited me over for a beer at a bar, just just sort of kitty corner off, I guess it would be the right field corner of Wrigley, where he was going after a game and told him the story and bought him a beer. And and like it just all sort of came together, and I actually applied for UVic Journalism, or, or it's a professional writing minor. I applied for UVic School f- basically had someone send me the documents to Chicago and I applied from Chicago and then went my merry way on the rest of the trip. Went to UVic, uh, got an opportunity to cover the Canucks for the Associated Press in 2000. The writer there at the time we had the Grizzlies as well as the Canucks. He was covering both. He was leaving for Buffalo because believe it or not, in the world of sports writing, Buffalo is a promotion from Vancouver because oh my God.
0: Something, called the, NFL. Too? Oh
1: Something my called the NFL, my friend. So, All right, there
0: you go. Makes so sense. So
1: there was a lineup of people that wanted his Grizzlies beat, and the Canucks were so bad at the time that nobody wanted to cover them. They did not want his beat, and I was just – I didn't even finish school at you, but I still had another little bit to go. But I just hand-raised, and I don't care if I have to come over on the ferry every game day. Like, I don't care what I got to do. And did a couple test runs. Uh, things went okay. Uh, got the job. First day on the job. Felt really good about my game over story because, of course, we have to file as soon as the buzzer goes, then go down and get quotes, come up and write a write through what, the, what they call, but the game over is delivered at the buzzer. So you got to sort of build it backwards. New style of writing for me, something they didn't actually teach me in journalism school, but I learned on the fly there. Um, felt really good about my story. Was about to hit enter, so to speak, and send it to New York, to the desk in New York, and then you phone to make sure they got it. Minute left in the game. It's a 4 2 game. Vancouver over Boston you can maybe start to imagine where this is going. I looked down I on the ice and okay, why is why is Donald Brashear twitching and bleeding on the ice with Marty McSorley? Oh, no, so was that, that, game. that was my first ever game for the <laughs> Associated Press. So um, trial by fire, Fire. I learned a lot of lessons. Didn't get everything right that night, but learned a lot of lessons on my first game. And uh, the sad part is they uh, they actually have paid off in subsequent instances like Bertuzzi Moore. I knew exactly what to do that night because I'd been through it. So – um the red that's that's geez that's 23 years ago how long i I
0: felt those games i was there for those games you know that is a crazy story man that's your first (laughs) that's epic I, i was watching that on tv like what the hell did i just see what is this man doing he's gonna get arrested i first first
1: break was actually so i went to the next canucks training camp was in stockholm uh i made an investment in myself actually sold my car finished finished school actually i still had a couple courses left to go but it was pretty much finished school sold my car uh my girlfriend at the time now wife we went to europe ahead of training camp in stockholm made it a sort of graduation trip uh through sort of uh berlin uh germany into austria down to Binko, southern italy but northern italy and then back up through switzerland and and Amsterdam, and then took a train up to Stockholm. And then I covered the Canucks training camp. And because newspapers, believe it or not, did not have internet sites at the time, I got a contract with mytelus.com. You remember that? Telus used to have a a news website writing about Canucks training camp. And because of the newspaper deadlines and because they didn't have websites, I was beating the newspapers by at times 36 hours on any news out of the training camp because it was going up right away on mytalus.com, And so, um, it was a great experience. I learned a ton. Uh, I'll never forget Rob Clovans, the editor at the time was so supportive and got my big break there that ties into the McSorley thing. Um, people sort of discovered me through that and then the hockey news hired me to actually cover the entire McSorley trial in downtown Vancouver the following fall. So they kind of, you know, there's lessons there about investing in yourself and trying to go out and take opportunities that, you know, if I wasn't willing, nobody, the Associated Press was not sending me to Stockholm. They have yep. somebody there. Yep. Um, if, if I hadn't made that investment in myself, that opportunity wouldn't have opened. I ended up with uh, two separate cover stories on the hockey news. And even if they weren't hockey related, I got to sort of not flex my journalism chops, but show that I could hang, uh, you know, on a big story and, and get the job done. So it was, uh, it paid off. Uh, it paid off with a lot of freelance opportunities that sort of were born from that.
0: Kevin, I love that, man. You're my hero, buddy. Um, you know what? Like we were talking a little bit off air just about, um, you know, knowing what's out there. And now, you know, today's kids can kind of pick a career and learn how to do it from a young age, right? Um, I think what you're describing to me sounds like you kind of just knew what you wanted and and you just went for it, right? And and I always think about that. We talked, I mean, we both have kids, but um, I, I, I think about what I learned when I was growing up. People say like, you can be anything you want to but they don't kind of, you know, that's a nice thought, but they don't really give you that, that caveat. Like, yeah, anything you put your mind to, you can do, but like, what does putting your mind to something actually look like? You know what I mean? It means going to Europe, like showing up, it means going to all the different like ballparks and like meeting people, right? Like that's, that's what's involved. And that's like something that I just really respect. And and I want to definitely kind of pass on to my kids if possible. Like, yeah, you can do anything you want, but like, you got to sacrifice your brains out, you know, to go to do that. You got to be really locked into like what it is you want. So it sounds like that was kind of your experience.
1: Well, it took me a little while to find, to understand that my passions could actually be my career. And I think a lot of times we see, you know, I went to UBC because I had good grades. I mm-hmm. didn't necessarily have a path when I arrived there. I ended up sort of steering towards actuarial um science and and maybe being an actuary. Cause I was told, frankly, uh, I, I screwed around a little too much in sciences in the first couple of years, didn't get into the business side and actual being an actuary would have been my way in because I was told that you can do the math and I was good at math. Um, if you can do the math and you have a personality, you can have quite a good career in it. And so I think it's the difference between sort of just going and seeing if you can find a job that will be a good job for the rest of your life and seeing, you know, um, and I've encouraged my kids to do this. If you can find your passion and make that your career and you know it's like that old cliche about if if you enjoy your job you never work a day in your life no, not work. that doesn't yeah. mean you you don't grind yeah. um you know my daughter uh actually she said this in her uh speech at um uh when she graduated high school cuz she's pursuing a fine arts degree she wants to be in uh on she's behind the camera so to speak like uh stage managing and things like that on um you know with plays and things like that she's in her first year of university and Uh, There were a lot of kids at her school where the other parents, you know, like, probably, you know, frankly, when she won a bunch of scholarships, and I think the other parents were like, great, but like, you're letting your kid, like, you went to this high school and did all this work and put all this sunk all this effort and money into getting her. And she's going to a fine arts school. And I'm like, yeah, because she found her passion. And if she can make a career out of that, great. And she sort of thanked me for that direction. It might have been the proudest moment of my life, because I understood that, um, you know, I made that choice and to see her make that choice and we'll see, maybe, maybe once it's a job, she doesn't love it, but to see somebody make that choice and pursue it as, as aggressively and passionately as she is doing right now, that's, that's, you know, it almost brings a tear to my eye just thinking about and talking about it right now. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting. And you know, like you can, right. You can, You, you can find these careers, but that doesn't mean they're easy. You have to, you have to work. And it's harder now, right? Like it's, yeah, Because the amount you can make in journalism has, has shrunk on a, on a continuous basis. So it's tougher now than it was for me.
0: Yeah. Um, buddy. I love to hear that. It's um, um, just to have that kind of awareness at that age, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I remember what I felt like when I graduated high school it was like, well, yeah, where's the party at? Like, let's go. You know I mean? That's a part of it too. Right. But I, I wasn't thinking about my passions. You know what I mean? So that's, that's awesome, buddy. I'd love to hear that. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's get, let's get into business. You know, before we get into business, I got to get your take. Who's your favorite Canucks goalie of all time. Give me, give me, what What do you got there?
1: Oh, that's a tough one, right? Like I grew up in the McLean era. I was yeah, on I Robson do. after game seven of 94. I was behaving me myself, too. behaving yeah. myself, but um, well, yeah, were you up on a light
0: post? Is uh, that what? The-
1: I don't think I climbed anything. I My, saw well, you there, mainly, no. mainly because I'm not capable. Um, right. But so so McLean is on that list for sure. But then being here for the Luongo era mm-hmm. and and being on the other side of that as a journalist, and then getting to know him as a person after the trade yeah. to Florida. ingol went down and spent a week with him in Florida, on and off the ice a little bit. And, Like I'm such a fan of, I was a big fan of Roberto, the goaltender and a massive fan of Roberto, the person. And I could say the same for Kirk getting to know him now that he's working, you know, with the organization uh, in more of an ambassador role, like just such a, such a good person. Just So, so we're just going to, you know what, I'm going to sit right on the fence and, and list both of them. I think they're the two greatest in franchise history. I'm a big fan of Thatcher Demko as well, but like just, you know, having been around both of them longer, one as a fan and the other, you know, on the working side, those are, those are, those are my two number ones and I'd they both number one. So there you go.
0: Yep. Uh, Luongo has got to be it for me. I mean, and, and obviously there's so many, I've been like Cloutier back in the day, you know what I mean? Like I was into it, you know? Um, but yeah, Luongo just seems like such a beauty. You remember that game? Um, I was in the playoffs. Was it Anaheim where it, it was just, he saved something insane, like 60 saves, one goal or something. And then, uh, he let in a goal like a long shot from the blue line on the left side when Yannick Hansen got like demoed by one of the like he was trying to say there's a penalty and then he let in a goal in overtime. Do you remember that game? I remember that game. Was that the bathroom? Was that also the bathroom break game? I don't think so. No, that wasn't Were the bathroom. break. It was the same series. Won. He won the bathroom break game, didn't he? I'm trying to think now, but yeah, I might be off on that. But first off, until he let that goal in, that was the best goalie performance, maybe to this day, that I've ever seen. Like, I just couldn't believe what he was capable of doing. And then, you know, to your point as well, like uh, I met Roberto Luongo one time. I was doing first aid uh, at the Vancouver Sunrun, and they had a couple guys there. They had Kessler. They had Oland. Uh, Brian Burke was there. I think that was his first year. And then, uh, uh Luongo was there and, you know, everyone's lining up and getting pictures and whatever. Like I didn't want anything. I just wanted to, you know, like, cause I, I don't want to be some fanboy, you know what I mean? But, but I wanted to be like, Hey, I just want to shake your hand. Like I, I'm looking forward to watching, you know, and I remember Kessler was like, mm, whatever. you know, he was just being a surly dingus. And then, uh, you know, Olin was, was all right. But then when I went to the Roberto Luongo, I, I for some reason I went, Hey, I went like that. And he's like, hey you know he kind of matched like my energy and it was just it was just a really funny thing we had like a little two-minute conversation so is roberto right, luongo confirmed beauty kevin uh yeah there you go you got it you got the correct answer and mclean is a beauty too so there you go all right we got to talk about goalies kevin i don't know i, I digress i yeah, do people, that some people I, don't
1: want to hear from they i've given my whole life story <laughs> that people are tuning out what the hell's this kind let's get into no the wait they're,
0: they're tuning in all right this is this is must listen material uh, as most of our shows are, um, okay. So first thing I want to talk about is just this last season here and some of the some of the interesting goalie performances and surprises. Um, namely, you know, Linus Allmark, the season he was able to have um, Alexander Georgiev, Georgiev with forty wins. Yeah, that's crazy. Philip Gustafson, his his uh, emergence, and then players like Markstrom and sort of the decline they had. Did you what? What was a big surprise to you this season in terms of goalies, and what what were some things that that you noticed just from from goalies this year in the NHL, just in general?
1: Oh, that's a I mean, that's a wide open one. There's a lot of there's a lot of different things. I mean, Linus Allmark's season was historically good, uh, in a in a you know maybe not from a workhorse standpoint in terms of the number of games played, but. You know, it wasn't just the raw numbers. And I know it's easy to say Boston's a great team. They score a lot, so you get a lot of wins. They they're a good defensive team. And yeah, the, the expected say percentage environment was goalie-friendly, but he outperformed it at a level that no one else in the league touched. The only guy who right. was even close on a per shot basis was UC Saros, who, by the way, should definitely have been a Vesna trophy finalist. All right. Um, there's uh like he you know, again, like like I've heard a lot of the talk and I understand where it comes from in terms of, you know, sort of downplaying to agree degree the season that Linus had, especially after they lost out in the first round of the playoffs. But his season really was remarkable. You had the goal on top of that, like um, <laughs> yeah, against yeah. the Canucks. Yay. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I, I think anybody that said they saw that coming, not that Linus hasn't always been a really, really talented goaltender, like any, but anybody that said they saw a historically good season coming, you know, I, I, I think they'd be lying. Um, saw a good season coming because he's a good goalie, but, like, this is one of the greatest of all time in terms of the season he had. And um, it was interesting to talk to him and, and see some of the changes that he made in his game and how it worked for him. And hear him admit that he was resistant to those changes a little bit in his first year with Boston um, Hmm. playing with a little, what they call recoil Bob ascends the goalie coach, another former Canuck uh, and and, an all time great person um, likes his goalies to sort of set and have a little backwards drift at times in the right situations, even off an open release, even off a point shot, the theory being rather than pushing forward into a butterfly, if anything hits a leg or goes back door, you're moving the wrong direction by having a little backwards flow and still maintaining active hands, not losing them behind you. If you do it the right way and that puck hits a leg or the guy fakes the shot and rips it back door to a tapping, you're moving in the right direction. You're headed where that pass is headed, and you haven't you give yourself a chance to make that save. And when you watch Linus's season, he really executed it beautifully. It's not the only reason he had the season he had, but it was a big part of it. And he he agreed with that. And so um, you know, I geek out on the technical stuff, and sometimes. You can find a narrative like that, and and maybe overhype it. Get a little little bit of hyperbole in there, but it. it's the it's the reason he had this season. And I, you know, I've been tried to be careful to not say that, but Linus himself will tell you it was a big part of it. And so, uh, the fact that there's a tangible technical change in approach, and it leads to these kind of results like that's my perfect world from a story narrative statistics all blending together the eye test and the analytics like it all kind of worked broken plays which are pucks that hit legs in front and go whichever direction linus had some of the best numbers in the league on him. you know laterals he had some of the best numbers in the leagues deflections tips so um you know it kind of it kind of matched what you saw when you saw the way he was playing and And the other thing about Linus is he was open about it. You know, like he could have just kept this his secret and Bob the same way feels the goalie world's given him enough that they were willing to talk about it. And so I was able Mm -hmm. to write those articles and others were able to write those articles and sort of delve into this technique that was a part of one of, like I said, a historically good season for a goaltender. So to me, that's the number one story in the NHL. He's your Vesna trophy winner from a goalie perspective. um, He's your Vesna trophy winner, slam dunk, no doubt would be beyond shock. I think people should lose their voting rights if it's not him, frankly, (laughs) the only guy, again, this is the irony. I did a deep article and we unlocked it at IngoldMag.com for anyone to read. It's not just hidden behind the subscription because we felt it was important. Um, And I wish I'd maybe done it before the GMs cast their votes, because the only guy who had an argument to be in the conversation to actually win it this year was UC sorrows. And he didn't even get a nod as a finalist. So, Um, At the end of the day, it's got to be Linus Allmark. It would have been Linus Allmark ahead of UC Saros for me anyways, but the fact Saros isn't even on that ballot tells me that there's no questions asked. It's Linus Allmark.
0: Yeah, a bit of a gap there. I love to hear you talk about uh, UC Saros, the juice tiger. That's what I call him. Um, he is probably my favorite fantasy goalie um, to a fault. Actually, I, I drafted him. Uh, I, I just draft them any chance I get. But, you know, in fantasy, drafting goalies as early as I needed to to get uh, UC Saros, it kind of. It, it becomes counterproductive like in, in when you can draft a player there but but UC Saros is one of my favorites. and one thing that's neat about what you, what I'm um, listening to you talk about uh, Linus Allmark and kind of just being open with with the changes that he made is like that's all well and good you know like that technical stuff but there's also it's it's a marriage with like mental strength, right and to, to have a season that Linus Allmark had, like you also got to be dialed in mentally. Right. And it like, so I think I've that that makes sense. Like, share it. Like, you know, we can all have the information. It doesn't mean we can execute the way that Linus Ulmark executed this year. No, and um, Linus has
1: always been, a, like I said, an incredibly talented goaltender. Uh, and mm-hmm. some of the adjusted numbers from that I have from ClearSight Analytics in the years in Buffalo, like he was a guy that, you know, his final year in Buffalo, when people were talking about trade deadline, he was a guy that I said teams should go get because his raw numbers were never spectacular because they were not a good defensive team. But much like Robin Lehner goes from Buffalo to the New York Islanders and is a Vezna Trophy candidate, if you put Linus behind a better team, there was a lot of, statistical evidence that he was capable of this level if you gave him some defensive support that he didn't have in Buffalo as much as the raw numbers were meh the adjusted numbers were all always very positive for Linus Allmark
0: do you think he repeats that season next year with Boston no because I I
1: I would point right to the Igor Shesterkin thing Igor Shesterkin had a historically good season the year before and even played more and you know arguably frankly it was so good that he deserved to be in the Hart trophy. And probably it's a silly sort of threshold, but if he'd stayed over 940, he probably would have been. Um, it's hard to repeat that. In in yeah. Shisterkin's case, you know, one of the best goalies in the world, um, the pressure of the season he was coming off itself. I think that he tried a little too hard. What do you do when you try too hard? Goaltending and golf, two things you can't not, you can't just swing harder in golf, it don't work. Goaltending when you try. Oh. I yeah i mean good lessons <laughs> uh, the future um goaltending when you try too hard you tend to uh you tend to tense up a little bit you tend to dig in a little lower and wider lock your edges in um and as soon as you change your stance and your setup you change everything your movement on save execution you're lower to the ice you're not protecting top of the net as well uh, your lateral movement which is the bread and butter for igor shishjerkin it's limited because you have to unlock that lead edge to be able to push in that direction. Like there's just so much that stems from our stance. And as soon as you saw him again, I think it's, a I, you know, I, my assumption is it's a product of trying harder to meet expectations, especially in downtimes early. As soon as you change that stance and get in a little low and wide uh, in Clark to go back to the guy who brought me into goaltending tension is the enemy of goaltending. And as soon as you're trying too hard, you, you get that tension in your game and your performance is going to suffer. And I think that, So anytime you have a season as good as those two had repeating it, like consistency is a big part of being a legit number one. I think Linus will continue to be an excellent goaltender, but asking there's a reason it's a historically good season. Mm -hmm. Asking somebody to repeat it is a lot.
0: Well, that really doesn't help us in fantasy. Damn it, Linus. What are you doing? Oh, we need some help here. Um, I don't know what they're going to do in Boston. Like it looks like a true one, a one B situation with, uh, with Swayman. Like, I feel like, I mean, if, if, if Omar didn't have the season he had this season, like it seemed to me at the beginning of, of last season, that Swayman was kind of their guy. They were going to go with him and it and it just didn't happen. He got injured and you know, I, I'm, I'm just interested in what's going to happen with them next season. I don't know.
1: I think you'll see like, I mean, I think you're going to see this around the league, like, and the only adjustment that needs to be made now is playoffs. Like if you're going to go mm-hmm. into more of a tandem where a guy doesn't, you know, he only plays two out of three for the season And yes, you're resting him, but if if his if his whole body of work all season long is two out of every three, then expecting him to go seven in a row or fourteen in a row through two rounds of the playoffs, is that realistic? Yeah. When everything you've done in terms of routine, managing his body, managing his game is based on playing two out of every three. And it's so that's an interesting conundrum. But I do think that you will continue to see, and we'll see if the defensive support is there. We'll see what kind of team, whether, how, how different the team looks in front of them. Cause that always matters. But at the end of the day, you've got two great goalies. They work really well together. They clearly yep. love each other and love playing together. Like genuinely when you talk to them. Um, so I, you know, anybody who buys on one of those guys, you better try and either get the second one. So you're getting the starts or you better be prepared to for, you know, for a guy who's probably only going to play 50 games max
0: yep makes sense gonna be interesting in there um cool well let's move on i got to some other questions here for you um you know kind of on this vein too like how do you how do you predict kind of goalie breakouts kevin like is there a certain stat that you're looking at like or is it team oriented or a mix of both like how, how do you how can you predict which goalies are going to do up well though obvi-
1: it's obviously hard to predict when goalies change teams there's an adjustment period to and and so there's two questions one um Does the strength of the goalie fit the strength of the way the team plays, what they give up? I mean, you know, there's a sliding scale in every goalie. There's a sliding scale in every team. Like we take away this, but it's at the expense of giving up that. Uh, same thing as a goalie. When I choose my depth, if I'm aggressive on the shooter, it means I can't get it. It's harder for me to get across on a backdoor option. If I stay deep on a, so that I'm always there in a backdoor option, which is, you'll know, say Aiden Hill plays a little deeper. So he doesn't have to go as far as Sergey Bobrovsky to get to that backdoor, which is good because he's got, he's got a massive frame, but he, he's not as explosive athletically as Sergei is. So he plays deeper, but that means he gives up more on the open look. And so does the strength of your goaltender fit the strength of the system he's playing behind? And even if it does, when he switched teams, the individual comfort level of the players in front of you executing that system matters. Can I trust this defenseman? How does he play an odd man rush? What point does he pressure? Is it just over the blue line? Is it a little closer to the net? Are they going to force the pass up high or down low? These are all tendencies within a system that can be somewhat individual and it takes time to adjust. So I tend to go away from new guys in new teams. I you know, I mean, unless they're there, it's a again, even saying just a good goalie, quote unquote, yeah. join a, joining a team that is great defensively doesn't necessarily mean it's more likely he's going to have success, but it's not a guarantee. You really need to get granular on the strength and weaknesses. And so those are some of the things that I look at. Now, you know, Stephen Balaket's company, Clearsight Analytics, to me does the best job of breaking down the different scoring chances that teams create, that teams give up defensively, and that goalies have, you know, what they're good at and what they're, again – You call it strength and weaknesses, but it's all relative. These guys are the best 64 in the world. So your weaknesses are relative to your your strengths. Nobody's bad at anything. Right. Um, And I look for that fit. And, you know, in terms of breakouts, I look for underlying numbers, right? Like I liked Cal Peterson, the year of his breakout. I liked him coming into the season because his adjusted save percentage in a small sample the year before was really, really impressive. Um, And he had a breakout season. Uh, I liked Connor Ingram in arizona this year uh was asked who i thought they should get off waivers and i picked him because every time he got in the net now the raw numbers were you know the year before the raw numbers were terrible because he got he barely played and when he did one of the games he got thrown into was edmonton and the oilers were freaking all over the predators in that game and they were all over him and if you watch the game like yeah he gave up the the numbers didn't look great but he made some incredible saves as well. And then I looked at the adjusted numbers and he was actually a net positive. He actually outplayed the environment. The environment was just that terrible. And so that's what I look for. I look at adjusted numbers and whether that guy is outperforming the environment he is Um, in a small sample. I look at adjusted save percentage because if he's going to get more opportunity, that will tend to translate on the same team. If he's switching teams, I really think he got to get more granular and look at the types of chances and see if there's that fit and again, as I said, even if there is a good fit there, there's still that risk. It takes time for him to get comfortable in the environment because to your point earlier, I can look at technique and I look can match the eye test to the numbers, why he has success on these chances based on the way he plays in the net. I can see that between the pipes. I can't see between his ears. Um, is his family life altered in a yeah. negative way yeah. when he goes home because he's moved and maybe not everybody was on board with that move? Um, where's his mindset at is the goalie coach asking him to do things differently inevitably he probably is but are is it things he agrees with is he being asked to make changes he's not comfortable with like there are so many different things to go that go into getting into that correct headspace and you know sometimes it just takes a while to get there so it might even be a good fit but I, I tend to look at 20 games and you know at a time when nobody's playing more than 60, 20 is even for a workhorse, number one, two, you know, a third of a season before they're even comfortable with what's going on around them and can get adjusted in and, and settled into a new team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's something to think about too, with uh, these Connor Hellebuck, uh, Carter Hart, you know, rumors that are, that are flying around like, you know it's not like we can just expect them to be at their best and because they're on better teams like all of a sudden they're going to you know deliver oh. these amazing seasons right no i've, um, I've
1: said this about hellebuck uh, like hellebuck's one of the best goalies in the game but his real strength is straight lines and winnipeg's done a really nice job of making sure they're not going to give up laterals as soon as you give up east west he's still a great goalie but relative to how good he is in straight lines like it falls off significantly and so I see these rumors, for example, like Buffalo should go get Connor Hella because they're a great young team and he's a great goalie and he is a great goalie, Yeah, but he might not be a great goalie behind the Buffalo Sabres because they give up so much East West. And statistically what I've seen in the numbers over the past number of years is even when he has great seasons, those are where, again, it's like Vasilevsky in the screens and the tips in the first round. It's not a weakness overall. It's just a relative weakness to his strength. And so why would you go make a massive acquisition, bring in a superstar goaltender, Connor Hellebuck is that, and then ask him to play to his weak relative weakness rather than giving him a chance to play to his strengths. And there are a lot of teams that if they were to make that trade without changing how they defend, I don't think it would go very well for them or for him or for anyone.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's got to be some forward thinking there uh, of the teams involved when they're getting these guys. Is it In your experience, are teams like... Are they on this train here with the analytics and 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 making decisions based on that, or are they out there just being like Connor Hellebook's available? Yeah, let's throw some money at him, get him over here. Like, what? what uh, I mean, means? there's
1: a, I think yeah, there's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, of course, they're all having their goalie coaches dig through the video and and see if there's trends, and and a lot of times I think goalie coaches can look at relative strength and weaknesses and say, hey, but yeah, okay, this isn't as good, but I can fix that. Um, and, and Hey, I understand why, because they're the best in the business as goalie coaches too. Uh, I do think, I, you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of different analytic companies out there. Um, let's just say that I have seen some teams that use clear to get as granular as I talked about and have real success with it. There are some teams that don't, and they make, they make decisions. I don't know how much analytics goes into it, but like there have been some contracts signed in the past couple of years that if I, when I looked up the numbers, I was like, I don't think that's going to work. And it hasn't. And you'd like to think that more teams would want to have access to more data, especially when, yeah, say it costs $100,000 a year to have access to the full package. Well, that's a lot of money, but it's a hell of a lot cheaper than making a $25 million mistake that you then have to pay other assets to get out of. And we've seen situations where There's been signings and I've looked at the numbers and it's like, man, I don't think this is going to work. And a year or two later, it's like, yeah, guess what? It didn't work. And they're on the hook for a longer term contract. If I'm a GM and they're going to, you know, come knock at my door and take (laughs) away the goalie union card any minute, but I'm avoiding term as much as I can when it comes to goaltending, not because I don't trust the goaltenders, but because the game actually changes so damn fast. Matt Murray didn't forget how to play the game. He won two cups in Pittsburgh playing a style in terms of technique. That just does not work anymore. Locked in low and wide. He got away with it because nobody was creating laterals except the Penguins. And the Penguins understood the importance of defending them. Now everybody's copycatted it. Everybody's creating East West. You can't play locked in low and wide. And so Matt's had to adjust his game. Matt didn't forget how to play goal. Like the all the stuff between the years and the it's just he needed to make changes to his game. And he did, like to his credit. He sought out himself before he was traded from Pittsburgh. And I still think that when he's healthy there that he has the opportunity to be a really good goalie with those changes. Um, But obviously the health has been an issue, but he's just the perfect example. Like that was just five years ago. Yeah. And the style he played no, as of two years ago, didn't work in the NHL anymore. Just didn't work. So, you know, unless you know, your goalie is adaptable and a constant student in the game and willing to make changes and capable physically of making those changes in their style, I would avoid void term as often as I could.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's such an interesting uh, thought there because, you know, I I follow fantasy like very, uh, you know, I'm very involved in fantasy, but, you know, I'm a casual fan as well. And like a casual fans sort of, opinion is usually like oh come on like what's wrong with this guy you know like you don't think about like you said granular like yeah th- there's actually so much like so much behind the scene that goes on um and that's yeah that's just a really interesting piece there i like that um makes it you know Bobrovsky signing that huge deal that he did for the money that he did it's kind of nice to see him you know figuring it out at the right time here no he's playing
1: so well <laughs> oh, yeah, i like- unreal. But 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 what's the stati- what, There's a couple areas statistically where where his struggles have been rooted in since he got in Florida. One of them is sort of between the faceoff dots, sort of mid low, uh, and getting exposed with pop passes from low high into those areas and shook quick shots just over the pads. Um, when was the last time you saw the Panthers give one of those up in the playoffs? Uh, missed, yep. Screens, another area where statistically over the past number of years screens have been a struggle, and I think in the final you've seen some of those screen goals go in. But up until that point, I don't know that the other teams are doing a good enough job. And part of this is Florida doesn't make it easy to get to those areas. But, you know, again, relative strengths and weaknesses. Bob will make brilliant saves all night long if you give him clear sight on the puck, even if it's lateral, even if it's backdoor. He's such an athletic, explosive, technically sound goaltender. Take away his eyes and some of his habits, actually technically in terms of managing screens and looking around them and getting caught moving, like that's how you score on him. But the Panthers, again, it's giving your guy a chance to be at his best by playing to his strengths. And the Panthers are finally corner, doing yeah. that. Exactly.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. That's a great thought. Um, okay, cool. Uh, well, I still have you here. I want to get a couple, um, not predictive questions for you, but we'll see. Um, give me, Kevin, who is an up-and-coming goalie that you're excited about and, and how come? What, what, what do you thinking who's, who's exciting you out there?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I will say that I do have a tendency to get so locked in, in the NHL that I don't look at the American league. And if there's a downside to Clearside analytics, it's that they are NHL only. So I don't get a, I don't get a glimpse at that. Um, you know, listen, like I'm a big Spencer Knight fan. I hope that whatever it yeah. was that put him in the program this year, I hope he finds a way through that and he's healthy above, above all else. Um, he comes back healthy and happy and and wanting to be back. But I think that kid has an incredibly bright future. Um, trying to think of some of the other top top end picks that we've seen in recent years. Uh, you know, I think Jesper Walstad's a guy that he might make a lot of a lot of teams regret passing him over. Love mm-hmm. his approach. Um, you know, I'm obviously a big Thatcher Demko fan. Although I don't know if he's a up and comer. He's sort of already had that opportunity to sort of show what he's capable of here.
0: Um, uh, Gustafson in Minnesota. What's, what's, what do you, what's your take on him? Cause he had a, yeah, nice.
1: fascinated to see like, again, good environment for him. Uh, they were a team that defended really well, but you know, honestly, uh, adjusted save percentage. He's the only guy that's up there with, with Saros and Almar, like the only guy he was that good this year. He was incredible. Um, you know, obviously I think he talked about it after the season, like to be a number one and to play that many games might require a different level commitments, not the right word, but just a different attention to detail in terms of how you take care of yourself physically in the off season. And during the regular season, I think we're going to, I'll be curious to see what he looks like when he comes back um, how much of an adjustment he's made that way. But you know, he, you know, honestly, Gustafson's a guy that again, because he was in the American league, I didn't pay that much attention to. Uh, But I know the goalie coach in Ottawa at the time that, that pursued him that made sure he was part of the deal when they got him that helped with that development and that frankly before they fired him there were people in the organization that wanted to trade philip Gustafson. and he said no way like this kid is going to be a number one goalie in the nhl and after he was fired and wasn't there to be that that sort of voice of reason they quickly traded him and lo and behold so People yep. that I trust are really big on the skill set. I think he's got a really nice technical package as a lot of Swedes do just plays a really efficient game, but he's also got really good hands on top of that. he's just got a nice, real nice balance to his game. Talking to flurry about him late in the season. He talked a lot about the, just the post play and how smoothly he moved in and out of their, his posts and executed and moved around the crease. And, Like that really is it. Like, like movement is such a foundation with all the East West plays, whether it's on your skates or on your knees, you have to be able to skate and you can skate from your knees. Shishjerk does it as well as anyone, Um, but you have to be able to move dynamically and explosively and powerfully. And, and, you know, sometimes efficiency above explosiveness so that when you get to your next spot, you're not having to collect yourself before you can make another movement. I think Gustafson is a, you know, sort of a great example of that next generation of goalies just have a real, it doesn't have to look crazy fast because the efficiency actually just makes it that much faster without, it doesn't, you know, a lot, oftentimes explosive goalies, there's a lot of moving parts that don't need to move. These guys don't have that. I mean, Gustafson is an, a great example of that. And again, is he going to repeat it? I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He'd like I said, new- what-
1: yeah, it's a high standard but I think he's a really good goalie and I think he's going to continue to have success. Will it be at a level that, like I said, with more games, he's in the Vesna conversation that I can't tell you, but he's a good goalie and he's going to continue to perform, especially if he plays an environment where things have a little bit of predictability and allow him to make the reads he was making so cleanly and accurately this season.
0: I love it. I like to say in Gus, we trust. All right. That's a guy in fantasy. I picked up in a lot of leagues halfway through and rode him to a bunch of third place finishes. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> No first place finishes, but thank you, Gus, uh, for the third place. That's nice. All right. Well, let's get into it. All right. These are the real questions. All right. Um, no, that's they're, they're all real questions. Um, Kevin, what are some potential bounce backs in this upcoming season that you see? And like one I'm thinking of right off the bat I, for me is going to be Jacob Markstrom. And I was wondering, maybe just start with him and then any other bounce backs you, you'd think, you know, are, are going to have better seasons than what they performed at the last one here.
1: Oh, so I'm automatically going down to the bottom of the sort of. State, yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm here too. <laughs> A lot Um, of bad goalies. um, Guys who had tough seasons for sure. Um, Okay, so yeah, Markstrom would be on my list. I I, I think there was – it was time for a new voice there as much as Daryl wasn't there long enough. uh, I think that that bled into some of the efforts in front of him. And Jacob Markstrom is a great goalie who's capable of better things. I could see Jack Campbell having a bounce back. Um, He made a lot of changes this year. That was a, a massive environment change for him and a massive change in expectations for him. You're the guy all of a sudden for the first time, even when he had his two best seasons. Two things about his two best seasons in Toronto. One, statistically, adjusted state percentage, they graded out in the 30s in the league. And that's why, you know, that's an example where I'm not sure I would have given $25 million for a performance that when you adjusted for environment was in the 30s. That said, he's a lot better than he showed this year. So it's not to be dismissive of, of his abilities as a goaltender. And I think that... As the season went on, I mean you saw it. He changed, he went through three different equipment brands over the course of the season. Like that is not typical yeah. of a goalie in the NHL in season. And I just think there's a comfort level with his game, and he's not a guy that will rest on his laurels. He'll do the work this summer. I actually know some of the people he's already reached out to about, you know, trying to get better for next year. So I, I could I don't think a lot of people would have him on that list, but I could see him bouncing back uh and having having a really good season um you know billy huso showed signs of being really good this year but didn't finish sort of where he was in st louis the year before i think with more time behind a team that you know if they continued to compete rather than you know pulling the shoot at the trade deadline like they did last year I think billy huso is better than you saw this year overall i could see him having a big bounce back
0: um beyond that <laughs> John Gibson of Anaheim, because he sounds like he wants to go somewhere else, and that's a guy I I stream in usually in fantasy. uh, You know, when you need categories like saves, obviously, yeah, (laughs) get a ton of saves. You know, nothing else. But
1: every time I watch John Gibson in Anaheim, I wonder if the Ducks are trying to kill him. Uh, Yeah, can somebody block a shot? Like, what is happening? And that's the thing. So I honestly, like his, his numbers are just barely below expected. Like, so he's a little bit underperforming the environment, but when the environment that is that bad, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard um, to, to sort of stay above it. Like it's the inconsistency of it. It's the volume. I think, you know, and I know he's a polarizing figure in the goalie world. Um, There are some things he does that, you know, could be described as a little loose technically But they've been very careful there not to lose sort of the instinct and athleticism and some of the instinctual stuff that separates him by making him a little too, you know, point A to point B robotic. And, you know, i watch him just enough Ducks hockey to see some of those performances where you're like, oh, my God, like this guy could be one of the best goalies in the league. And there's a little part that says, I wonder if the consistency is because – The technique, you know, like they it's not as tight as some other guys. And so you're relying a little more on feel and timing and rhythm. And that tends to lead to more ups and downs. But when you think of the environment he's had, whether it's the bad defense or no goal support, and that takes such a toll on you mentally, when you know that one or two is one or two too many every night. uh, I just, I want to see him somewhere else. I 100% if he had a great season next year, somewhere else, I wouldn't even consider it a bounce back. I just think he's been buried there so much. That I, I just don't blame it that much on him, frankly.
0: I love it. Shout out to John Gibson. Hopefully, uh, yeah, you move on. I think he wants to, <laughs> to move on somewhere else. And that I think that would be good for everybody. Um, last question I do need to ask you. As a Canucks fan here, I need to know what the hell, uh, how are we looking for next season? All right. Well, is, I Dempo, actually, is he going to be all right?
1: Been, he would have been next on my list for bounce back.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, you know, I was just looking at that because he, he didn't have a terrible season, but he didn't obviously live up to the year he had before. Um, they were so horrendous defensively and oh, with man. no disrespect to Bruce, they went from being a bottom third team to a bottom three team. And that's an exponential drop-off. You now for every time Canucks fans saw a screen cap of four defensemen headed to the same place and leaving three other people wide open, like that's, those are all guys making the wrong read. And as a yeah. goaltender, you have to read off trusting your defenseman to make the right read. I think their system at the beginning of the year was too read based guys made too many mistakes behind it and a goalie's trying to figure that out. Like it's, it was just too much. And so um, they were much better defensively under Tocket. It's, it's up to him to get them to continue uh, that focus and that intensity because, you know, those are, that's what defending is all about. It's it's both work rate and also proper focus. And this is a group that hasn't shown an ability to sustain that in their own end in the past. And so that's on Rick Tocket, but if they can, and Thatcher made some changes in terms of who he trains with in the off season um, so that should help him have less stress on his body than he's had before. And I, I believe if you put all those things together, coupled with the performance he had, like, you know, once he came back, he posted sort of top 10 adjusted numbers. Yeah, he looked cool. uh, He's a guy that I would very much buy high as a bounce back category this year, for sure
0: okay well this is this this is promising all right because man was that a painful year to watch um i always think about uh ethan bear uh, had some interview where he was talking about coming from carolina to vancouver and just you know what he noticed and and like he came to the canucks when they're basically in turmoil like you said everyone's making bad reads they're all going to the same guy and he was just dumbfounded like what where is the structure here like we should know where everybody is supposed to be and that's just not what it was in, in vancouver so hopefully that's what yeah I'd say
1: other guys that that I like for this is I'm looking through the list. I don't want to leave your, I want to give you, I want to give your, give your audience some juice here for next year. Um, (laughs) You know, Shesterkin, what you saw at the end of the season is the real Igor Shesterkin. And if he, if they have an environment in front of him, like, like I could see him going back to the Igor of two years ago, as much as I call that, you know, I, I said that was just like such a lofty place that it's, it's not fair to expect that he showed he has the best adjusted save percentage in the playoffs like in one round he saved almost as many goals as bob and aiden have through through the cup final that's how good he was so uh, he's a guy i'd be i'd be have right back in that elite category i don't know how much he'll play watch the backup decision there i'd like to see arl halak back he was better than a lot of people realized Uh, and i know how much he wants seven or 300 wins I'd love to see him back there. But if it's him, you know, there's a limit there in terms of workload with age. And so you'll s- still see, you know, a relative workhorse type environment for Igor. Other guy too, that like I'm telling you, if Toronto gives Joseph Wall a chance to run with it, um, again, he had a, re- he had, a he had a pretty friendly environment, but he outperformed it. Uh, you know how good that team is, how many wins they're going to pile up. Uh, Joseph Wall, I believe, is ready for that opportunity. Does it mean he becomes, you know, next year's, Stuart Skinner in terms of, you know, a rookie that gets to to run with it and and, and grow into a number one role. You, you have to wait and see what happens in free agency in terms of the other options they might pursue or what they do with Matt Murray. But Joseph Wall's another guy that, you know, so other people might be sleeping on and I wouldn't in terms of having an impact with the Leafs next year.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I I don't know. In Toronto, just the, the amount of pressure, the media pressure, like that would be a tough sell to their fan base, I think. Like, hey, you just got bounced in the playoffs again. Like, we're going with Joseph Wall. It's like, oh, man, I he but he played well didn't he like and he looked good so i don't know it's I'm, I'm excited i love you know i love the off season i love all these trades and all this you know trying to extrapolate what's going to happen and then getting it all wrong and you know going back to the drawing board but yeah it's, it's just so fun and and uh yeah it's uh it's a good time of year buddy i appreciate having you here kevin Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate that. And just, just making time for our our listeners here. This is very valuable stuff. It's not something that I talk about a lot goalies, right? Like in fantasy goalies are voodoo and that's like, no, you you know, I, I subscribe to a fantasy um, strategy called zero G, which is basically like, don't draft the goalie until the 10th round um, because of the very, the variables, like they're just not easy to predict. Right. I'm going to, I'm,
1: I don't do the daily fantasy. So I just do like season long pools. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's ego, maybe it's arrogance, maybe it's stupidity. I always leave my goaltender for the last round. Cause I always feel like I can find a guy, especially if it's a, yeah. especially if it's a say t- 10 to 12 deep in terms of, um, the amount of people I can find a guy, I believe that they've slept on that can provide me the same amount of value and i've i've the one I year one i won this one that i've been in a while for two years ago basically by getting freddie anderson in the 12th round yeah um and that wasn't like i believe in freddie anderson but it's also that freddie anderson was playing for the carolina hurricanes and yeah. so yeah. um so much of it is you know picking a guy in a good team it might not be the biggest name but i think you you know you look for teams that continuously have goaltenders that have success and that have numbers that translate in fantasy and even if the goalies change on that team, I think you can bet safely that the next guy in is also going to have similar levels of success to a degree just because the environment is so goalie friendly. So that's uh that'd be my last piece of advice from a, from a fantasy hockey perspective. You can find those guys in late rounds, have a list and uh, you know, you sort of, let other people spend early picks on the saroses and the Vasilevskis and the Shisterkins and and find yourself like I did a couple of years ago with Freddie Anderson in the final round. You know, I actually, usually I find you get to the 12th round and there'll be more than one on my list yep. that guys yep. that I'm like, yep, I bet you I can win with this guy. And the other guy on my list that year was Jacob Barkstrom, and that was the year I think he had nine shutouts and there were five points of shutout for the pool, oh right? So. God. You can find those guys if you if you know where to look. And it usually means not just looking at a great goaltender, but finding a guy on a team with a really good defensive environment.
0: I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be hitting you up in the DMs, and be like, Kevin. Who should I pick up? What, what, what's what's going on here? You know, uh, basically what I'm hearing here is Zero G is endorsed by Kevin Woodley. Confirmed. All right, that's that's uh, that's. Yeah,
1: for it, it's confirmed. Let's not forget. I may have talked about my one win, but up until that point, they called me the donator in the pool. So
0: no, we don't. No, we don't need to hear that part. I'll edit that out in post. That's fine. This man is a legend. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. You can find Kevin on uh, Twitter at Kevin is in goal, uh contributor, writer, uh, in goal magazine. Kevin, thanks so much. Uh, I'll give you the floor. Anything else you, you want to promote or anything else you're doing? Uh,
1: in goal magazine, if you're a goalie, uh, we'll make you a better goalie. There's no other place in the world where you can actually go and sort of be on the ice and watch video on the ice with NHL goalies as they work through drills and then explain to you afterwards what they're doing, what their focal points are, the pro reads where they break down video. There is no, And I've had this from NHL goalie coaches tell me there is no better way for young kids to learn how to read the game than to have a membership to in goal and watch NHL goalies explain how they read the game. Nobody else does it. Nobody else has even tried it. We're having a lot of success, thanks in part to the goalies, jumping on board and being really great with their time with us. And so if you are a goalie listening to this and you're looking for a resource, I would highly suggest
0: ingoldmag.com. Boom. Love it. Enough said. Get your biscuits in there. What are you doing? All right. Um, Kevin, thanks again. And thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate that. We'll talk to you soon. Celebrate your day. Bye for now. A
1: rational explanation is hardly necessary.